Our Bibles are open to Deuteronomy chapter 5 once again this morning. If you're new to Hillcrest, we're in a larger study of the critically important Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, Uh, but we've slowed down for a little bit during these summer months in order uh, to devote some concentrated time to uh, one of the most beloved parts of God's Word, uh, which we typically call the Ten Commandments. Uh, The section of Scripture that deals with the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy is actually a repeat of the first time we encounter them in Scripture, which is in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, when Moses first receives them, what we call the Decalogue of God, the Ten Words of God, up at the top of Mount Sinai, this dramatic encounter with God in fire and in smoke. Thirty-eight years now have passed since uh, the law was given to Moses, who gave it then to the people. And now, after nearly four decades, Moses, to a new generation of the people of Israel, is giving them the Word of God again. He's giving them what the word Deuteronomy means, namely a second law. Not a different law, but he's repeating it. He is emphasizing it to a different generation in an appropriate way as they prepare to do what the first generation of post-slavery Israelites could not do, namely take the land because of their disobedience. Moses doesn't want this generation to make its ancestors' mistakes. And so the book of Deuteronomy is a series of three sermons which Moses gives to the people to prepare them to take the land and to begin to appropriate it as the land was, of course, one of the great promises of God given to his people. Today we find ourselves in commandment number 8, Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 19. If you want a copy of the Word of God, there's one in front of you and we'll be on page 141 in your pew Bible this morning. But we're going to talk for a little bit today about the subject living with integrity. And I'm going to phrase it that way even though I know the word integrity isn't literally found in the Ten Commandments. I'm going to take this commandment and broaden it a little bit and apply it to the people of God through the use of this very important term which is found all over the Bible in one way, shape, or form. If you look up the word integrity in the, in the dictionary, you're going to find a definition that includes something like honesty or incorruptibility. Integrity is someone who has a sound character or a whole character. We get our word integer from the word integrity, and an integer, of course, is basically a whole number. And a person who is a person of integrity is a whole person, a person of great character that's marked by honesty and incorruptibility. You remember when Jesus uh, first comes on the scene as described by John, the gospel writer, one of the first people that Jesus is introduced to in his public ministry is a man named Nathaniel. And Jesus looked past the exterior of Nathaniel straight to his heart and said these words upon meeting the man, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. In other words, I'm looking at a man who bears no deceit. I I would love for that to be said about me. Wouldn't you want that to be said about you? 
There goes a man or a woman doesn't have a deceitful bone in their body. Jesus looked at Nathaniel and instantly knew that he was a man of integrity. It's a sad shame that we can't view all people the same way Jesus viewed Nathaniel when he first met him. The pattern, and for good reason, I'm sad to say, is to view people with suspicion and with skepticism. Truth be told, you trust very few people. There aren't even many people in your own family that you completely trust. We're an untrustworthy people in large part. I remember, first president I ever voted for was Ronald Reagan, 1984. And many of you remember the famous saying of Reagan concerning the Russians, trust but verify, right? Well, he might as well just gone ahead and said verify. Because you know as well as I do, I knew it then as a young voter. He doesn't trust the Russians as far as he can throw them. Here's the thing. Are y'all listening? Say amen. You don't have to verify if you trust somebody. No need to verify. The people that I completely trust, if they tell me something, I ain't going behind them checking it out. I don't feel like I have to. But those kinds of people are few and far between in your life. The Bible teaches that we're kind of all born with a natural bent toward deceit, a natural bent toward dishonesty. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, the heart is what? Deceitful above all and desperately wicked. And who can know it? So it's no surprise to anybody for me to say today that we live in a nation and we live in a world that desperately needs revival in the area of personal integrity. And personal integrity is really the subject matter of not only this commandment that we're looking at today, but really of the last three commandments. The eighth commandment, which is where we're landing today, Deuteronomy 5.19, says very simply, you shall not what? Steal. And theft is rampant here and around the world in many different ways, shapes, and forms. Between 1990 and 1995, the treasurer of the Episcopal Church in America embezzled nearly $2.5 million from church funds for her own personal use. She used it to buy a house. She bought a farm. She used it to buy jewelry. She used it to travel around the world. She used it to pay for her children's school tuition at private schools. She was, of course, eventually caught. Be sure your sin will what? Find you out. And hers did. When she was arraigned, she hired a personal psychiatrist who testified that her behavior was due to enormous pressures and stresses. So basically, the testimony was sinful behavior is to be passed off as a bad mood, right? Listen, most stressed out people I know take a bubble bath <laughs> or they go for a run <clears throat> or they go to the gym and have a workout. Can I have an amen? They don't steal $2 million of other people's money to make themselves feel better about themselves. But that's the trend today. The concept of stealing has become pretty narrowly understood. Most people, when you talk about stealing, think in terms of, of what Andy and Barney used to fight against down at the bank. A guy puts on a mask and he goes in and he pulls out a weapon. Maybe it was real, maybe it was fake. And he tells people, stick them up. 
But really, when you think about it, theft is a pretty broad concept. We live in an age where people redefine the word stealing in order to justify getting what, we, what they want, just like the former treasurer did. Or they just don't care if they get found stealing or not. I mean, the mantra of a lot of people is what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. But here's the bottom line. Whenever you take what belongs to someone else or you withhold something that rightfully belongs to someone else, then you're a thief. You're guilty of stealing in the eyes of God. Now, what I want to do for a few minutes this morning is kind of talk about some ways that we typically do this. Because there are a number of ways, and I only have time to mention just a few this morning, so track along with me. Y'all ready to rock? Would you say amen? The first common form of stealing, of course, is the most basic, and it's just direct theft. It's the most obvious form of stealing, so that when you commit burglary or armed robbery or whenever you shoplift, obviously you're stealing, and very few of us in the room today would argue whether or not that kind of theft is wrong. But can I say this morning, many people don't even see that as wrong anymore. Obvious excuses that you hear, they'll never miss it. I deserve it as much as anybody else. It not hurting anybody for me to take this. I mean, you watch the news as well as I do. People today are just strolling into stores and blatantly loading up as much as they can carry without even trying to conceal it. And then just walking out. They're daring the management to do anything about it. Less brazen are the people who rob the companies that they work for. It's easy to rob from the business that employs you. And many people just come up with all kinds of reasons they feel good about doing that. Man, I work here, put in a lot of overtime. They're never going to miss what I take. Are you aware that the American economy loses over $50 billion every year from pilfering, on-the-job theft, everything from lifting office supplies to embezzlement to padding expense accounts? Call it what you want. What does God call it? Stealing. That's right. And don't get the impression just because a big company, nobody's going to get hurt. No company, no chairman of the board, no board of directors, no chief executive officer is ever going to say, you know what, let's just subtract that stolen merchandise, those lost funds from our annual profit. They're not going to do that. They're going to raise prices for the rest of us. They're going to raise premiums for the rest of us. So all of us end up paying for that in some way, shape, or form. So here's the bottom line. Y'all tracking with me, say amen. If you haven't bought it, if you haven't earned it, if you haven't been given it by somebody else, or if you've not inherited, it belongs to somebody else, and that's where it needs to say amen. Another method of stealing is fraud. Fraud. And you know what that is, don't you? That's just any kind of deception or manipulation for dishonest gain. And it comes in several different shapes and sizes. For example, you can, uh, you can steal by defrauding consumers. Uh, there's a lot of that goes on in the world today. And this was a problem even in biblical times. I mean, you can make an argument. That's kind of what Ananias to Fira got struck dead for. They got struck dead for not only trying to defraud the people of God, but 
for defrauding God himself. You have lied to the Holy Spirit. Last time I checked, Jesus took out his anger on the money changers in the temple courts for doing what? Price gouging. Price gouging. That's what they were doing. They were selling dollar and a half pigeons for 25 bucks. I just made that up. <laughs> but that's kind of what they were doing, right? Uh, they were price gouging, robbing people blind. That's why Jesus said, you've turned this house of prayer into a den of thieves, a den of robbers. Many of you will remember the former professional basketball player, Chris Weber, uh, Chris Weber played for the Fab Five at Michigan. Chris Weber did. He's retired now. But while he was still playing, he severed his ties with a major athletic shoe company. When he found out that the shoes that sported his name were being sold at an astronomical profit margin, 3,000% markup. He found out they'd been making those shoes in sweatshops in China and other places, spending literally pennies on the dollar. Cost them about $5 to make those shoes in overseas sweatshops, and then they were selling them for $150 to kids who couldn't afford them, who could afford them. And a lot of those shoes today, this was several years ago, a lot of those shoes today go for far more money than that. But he couldn't do it in good conscience. And so he, I mean, how many times do you see that done today? He just cut ties with the athletic apparel maker over that. Listen, you see it happen all over the place. When a repairman makes unneeded repairs and then charges you for them, when a salesman sells you a car without revealing there's something wrong with the car, when a retail store engages in some form of price gouging for a product that's actually in high demand, all of those kinds of things are what we call consumer fraud, but God calls it what? God calls it stealing, that's right. You can not only defraud consumers, stealing also occurs when you defraud businesses that you patronize. How about those times you're in a, I don't know why nobody in here ever does that, but you order dessert in a restaurant, when they bring you the bill, the dessert's not on the bill. And how are you gonna handle that? Are you gonna say, well, praise the Lord, that $18 dessert, slice of pie is not on my bill. Let's get out of here. Are you going to call the server back over and say, you know what, you forgot to put this on the bill and we need to pay for that? You walk out without paying for it, you're a thief in the eyes of God. Now, it's one thing if the server says, just go on and go. I ain't got time. I'm too busy to, listen, you've done your part. And if she tells you to go ahead and go, then you tap dance your way out the store. <laughs> but not till you've done the right thing in the eyes of God. Or you can... Steal by defrauding employers. Listen, you can steal dollars, you can steal merchandise, but did you know you defraud your employer when you waste time on the job? When you sit there and get paid for not doing an honest day's work, come in late, leave early, take long lunches, whatever the case might be, half-hearted work is robbery. It's stealing in the eyes of God. Or it can be more overt, to be honest with you. I remember one time in specific, when I was in seminary, <clears throat> and of course, we were living on one income. Truth be told, we were living on love. That's what we were living on. 
I call it one income. Judy was a registered nurse. We had it better than most, but she was still a young nurse. And I remember she came home on a payday, and this was back in the day when you brought your check home and then had to take it to the bank and cash it. Y'all remember those days, those of you that are nearing 100 years old like me. <laughs> and she brought that check home, and I looked at it, man, because I pretty much keep the books at the house. And, and I looked at it, and I mean, it was a whopper. It was big. And my first thought was, whoa, girl. I mean, how, how many hours you work these past two weeks? But I mean, this thing was very substantial. I knew she'd worked a little bit of overtime, but I didn't think too much about it. In fact, I was just too busy dancing. I was just happy, 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 happy. But you know what? While I was celebrating, she was over at the kitchen table calculating. She kept saying, I just don't think this is right. And I just kept saying, honey, it's right. It's right. <laughs> Man, these are professional people you work with. Don't question the good folks down there in payroll. <laughs> these are college-educated people. It's a computer that does it anyway. So trust the good folks down there at the hospital that you work. No, no, she said, I think they've made a, a mistake. And they had a pretty significant one. Actually, now to that hospital, the amount that we were talking about was pretty much chump change, to be honest with you. I, it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, it was a big deal to us, but it wasn't that big a deal to them. And I kept saying, they're never going to miss that. Now, this is a seminary student talking. <laughs> Listen, they're going to pay you more trying to work. They're going to pay those people more trying to figure out what's wrong with the situation here. And I'll never forget as long as I live what she said to me. She said, they may never know it was a mistake, but I'll know it. That money wasn't earned. Wasn't properly borrowed. It wasn't properly gifted. And to kept it would have been robbery without a weapon. But what's true for the goose is also true for the gander because a company can do that with their employees. Those of you that run businesses or managers or whatever, when a company hires somebody to do a job or provide a service and then doesn't pay them what was promised or withholds payment, that's stealing from the worker. Leviticus 19, 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. And so if you have an employee or a supplier or a friend that you've engaged to a job, pay them what you've promised. Pay them on time. Pay them promptly. Otherwise, you become a thief in the eyes of a holy God. And then we can also steal when the, we, uh, you're not going to want to hear this. I'm telling you, y'all don't want to hear what I'm saying today. You can defraud the government. Now, let me just say this morning, it's no crime to minimize taxes. I do everything I can to minimize the amount of tax that I have to pay to the federal government. But tax evasion is a crime. Tax evasion is unbiblical. It's immoral. It's illegal. Somebody sent a letter to the IRS one time that read, Dear Sirs, last year when I filed my tax return, I deliberately misrepresented my income, and now I cannot sleep. Enclosed, you'll find a check for $500. 
If I continue to struggle with insomnia, I'll send you the rest later. <laughs> That's not quite honest. It's getting there. No, Jesus said what? Render therefore unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar's and render to God the things that belong to God. Thou shalt not steal. Direct theft, fraud. And then there's a third thing I'd like to mention this morning. I'm telling you, y'all don't, don't want me to say this stuff. There's a verse in the Bible that says it this way. Will a man rob God? Is robbing God. Did you know you can rob God? That's Malachi 3. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. The Bible teaches that that tithe belongs to the Lord. The word tithe means tenth. We're talking about the first tenth of what we make. I'm telling you, read the book of Deuteronomy. There are times during that sabbatic year that the tithe, the annual tithe for a follower of the Lord was 30%, a triple tithe. Now you really wish you hadn't come to church. So tithe wasn't even always just 10%. It varied depending on what was going on in the life of the people according to the calendar of, the, of God. Bottom line is our giving to God is a grateful act of worship. God gave his people the tithe fundamentally so they would have an, uh, a reminder of everything that God had poured into their life. And every time we give, it reminds us of where that income came from in the first place. Not so much from an employer, although the employer's name's on the check, but God's name ought to be on the check. Because everything that you have, you have as a grace gift from God. There's going to be a passage we look at in the future where Moses reminds the people, don't forget the Lord. When you move into houses that you did not build and inherit lands that you did not buy and cultivate fruit from trees that you did not plant, remember where all that stuff ultimately came from. And boy, that passage in, Deuter or in Malachi chapter 3 rather says that when I withhold the tithe and use it on my own priorities, I become a thief in the very eyes of God. And one day there'll be an accounting. God will render an accounting for our flawed system of accounting in this life. A lot of people say, well, wait a minute now, tithe is the Old Testament, so are the Ten Commandments. Where is it written that God's people are supposed to be less faithful following Jesus Christ in this wonderful age of grace that the people of God ever had to be when they were under the tyranny of the law. We live by grace. And so many of the people of God today want to dumb down grace as an excuse to be more stingy than a Jew had to be living under the law. That doesn't even make sense. For New Testament believers, a tithe ought to be a minimum that we give, not a maximum. It ought to be a floor. It ought to be the foundation, especially so 
given that in our immediate context, we are so far beyond blessed in terms of how that generation was blessed. We got more disposable money than they ever had. And yet we look for opportunities not to give. We're more materially blessed today than at any age in the history of Christianity, now beyond two millennia nearly. And so what was true then is still true today. You don't want to be a thief. Listen, you can still rob God today. You can still do it. When you fail to be generous and to use what God has given you to support the ministry of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you become a thief in the very eyes of God. 2 Corinthians 8, 7, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, gifted speakers, knowledge, enthusiasm, your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. So if the tithe gives you trouble, phrase it this way, am I an excellent giver with respect to the things of God? And I don't think you can make much of an argument that you're an excellent giver if you don't at least give what the Jew was bound to give when they lived under the authority of the law. Will a man rob God? So these are some of the ways that we can be guilty of stealing and often are. But one thing we ought not ever forget are the consequences that come with a compromised character. Listen, when, when people steal, they do it because they think they're going to get away with it, right? Or at least that used to be the case. Nobody, listen, I would never take something that didn't belong to me unless I was thinking that nobody was ever going to know it. Now, people may not care as much today if nobody's watching, but most people would never steal something if they thought they were going to get caught doing it. But here's the greatest ploy of Satan. Satan works to get you to think that nobody's watching, that nobody is going to miss it, that nobody really cares. But can I make a statement this morning? God knows. God's watching. And God cares. You may not have to give an accounting today or tomorrow. Somebody told me a long time ago a statement I've never forgotten. Just because God doesn't balance the books on a daily basis doesn't mean he's not keeping a record. And it doesn't mean the books won't be balanced one day. Oh, they will be. There will be an accounting for our very flawed human system of accounting. And that's why integrity matters. Galatians 6 and verse 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also what? Reap. You reap what you sow. So if you sow dishonesty, you'll reap corruption. Sow integrity, you'll reap the blessing of God, both today and in the age to come. So God is watching. But also you need to know unbelievers are watching. This is why Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. Do your lost friends and family members need to see something different in you than they see in themselves, yes or no? Well, of course they do. That's why Jesus made that statement. And the people that you know, the people in your family, 
They know you testify to the Lord. They know you go to church. The people you work with will know it too. And they may not like you because of it. They may not like your personality. They may call you a church lady. They may call you a holy roller, holier than thou, whatever the case might be. They may totally disagree with your faith. But let me tell you, most people will notice your personal integrity. The reason that they don't like it and the reason they may not like you is because they're cut to the quick by it. When they see a person that's honest, a person that does the right thing in the right way, they may not like you, but they'll generally respect your character. And that's why whenever you make a decision to live with integrity, you're giving a witness to a lost world that desperately needs to know Jesus. So God is watching. Unbelievers are watching. Can I say a word to all the parents and grandparents? Your kids are watching. Your children are watching you. They'll hear you say at that dinner table at that restaurant, they forgot to put that piece of pie on here, and they're watching what you do next. And you'll communicate volumes to them by whatever way you choose to go. Your life and your lifestyle communicate reams to your children. And the thing about values is values are far more often caught than they're taught. Now, we ought to teach the Bible in our homes. In fact, when we're finished with the Ten Commandments, I'm going right in Deuteronomy 6, and you're going to see that right out of the gate. How important it was for the people of God to teach these commands to their children so that they would know. And you do need to teach it. But you also need to live it. Every time we dedicate a family who has a new baby at our church, and many of them are in the room today. I've dedicated scores of babies through the years. I almost, I pretty much make the parents take a vow in front of the gathered assembly. Do you promise that you'll train these children according to the word of the living God? A and B, is it your intention to live a Christian life in front of your children in such a way that they can visibly and demonstrably see a harmony between what you're teaching them about God and how you live for God. And that's why this stuff matters because this is how values are communicated to children. And let me just say, no greater lift. I don't care how much money you live uh, to your kids. They may care. My mother, listen, my mother's the greatest thing on the planet. But she's already told me my goal is to die having struck even. That's it. (laughs) So you better make plans for your own future. (laughs) But really, how much money is left behind is not what counts. I want to leave. Now, listen, I hope to leave my kids a little bit of a legacy. They won't, get to, they won't ever be made rich by what mama and I leave them. Except, I hope, as it relates to the things of God. That's what I hope my kids carry away from my life. Matters of biblical integrity that are both taught and caught in terms of what they see in me. 
I know Brian and Heath Wilson preached a couple of weeks ago on the importance of telling the truth. And they entitled that message, you know, something like, who are you more like, you know? Because the devil is a liar and the father of lies. So you don't want to look like the devil. Jesus is the truth that can set you free. You want to be more like him than you are the enemy. And that's the thing. That applies here. Who are you more like? Because not only is the devil a liar, the devil's also a what? A thief. That's right. He wants to rob you. That's his mission in life. He wants to rob you of your joy. The devil wants to rob you of peace that passes understanding. The devil wants to rob you of your assurance in Christ that you truly are saved and that by knowing Jesus, you're in the grip of God's grace now and for all eternity. He wants to rob you of that assurance. He wants to rob you of your freedom in Christ. So the devil is a thief and a liar. And that's why whenever you make a decision to steal, you may never rob a bank, but there are lots of other ways you can do it, and we've talked about that this morning. And whenever you make a decision to do that, you're making a choice to side with the enemy. And you don't want to go there. The Ten Commandments are about, in large part, living with honor. You probably have noticed that as we've gone through them. These commandments teach us the importance of honoring God as God alone. They teach us the importance of honoring God's name. They teach us the importance of honoring God's day. They teach us the importance of honoring our parents. And they teach us the importance of honoring our spouse. And they teach us the importance of honoring the truth. Today, we learn the importance of honoring what belongs to somebody else. Ephesians chapter 4 says it well, and it's a good word on which to conclude. The New Testament says it in a way that's just as emphatic as the old. Let him who steals steal no longer. This is the word of God and all God's people said, amen.